Hello. Make sure that's working. Yep, it's all good. Hi, John Rollison here. I'm a few days late on this particular talk. I did it, Facebook Live, and I was so unhappy with it that I pulled it down. But now I'm back, and I've had a chance to to live with this a little longer and make it better and throw some things out and add some things. And so here I am now with a talk, and this talk is entitled Life Lesson from a Sabbath Struggle. Life Lesson from a Sabbath Struggle. So to start with, we have to go back to the history of the Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath anyway? So the Sabbath came about in this way. The, the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And slaves are simply work commodity right there they are their value is whatever they are able to produce and so god brought the israelites out of egypt out of slavery into the promised land eventually one of the laws he gave them was the law of the sabbath and the sabbath is this you can work six days but every seventh day you take a day off. You stop. You rest. And it's grounded in Genesis 1, where the universe was created in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. And so we have the Israelites coming out of slavery, and God gives them a command that they have to take a rest. And in fact, it's the fourth commandment. It's the first commandment that doesn't have to do with God. You have commandments one, two, and three, depending on how they get numbered in different Christian traditions. But you have several commands about God and his name and things like that and making idols. And the first commandment that has to do uh, with man's relationship with the earth and other people and all that stuff is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, which means set apart. So... They were supposed to take this Sabbath, this holy day, the set-apart day, a non-work day, even during the planting season and the harvesting season. And I have a friend who grew up on a farm, and he said, this is kind of hard. It's hard on farmers to observe the Sabbath because you have the crops out there in the field during harvest, and they're ripening, and maybe they're getting overripe, and yet you're supposed to take a day off, a day of rest. And the point of the Sabbath is to pull people away from the commerce and slavery mentality that the Egypt, the Israelites had been subject to for hundreds of years. So the Sabbath, the uh, taking one day a week off to not work, to specifically, clearly, and intentionally not work, is about more than just rest. Of course it's about rest. You need rest. But it's about perspective. It's about stepping back from your work. It's about your identity and finding your identity in more than what you can produce, more than what your the value of your commerce is. The Sabbath is about faith. It's about recognizing that you are part of a universe created by God, and that's all bigger than what you're able to produce, what your income is, what your production is. So it's about faith in something larger than yourself. Uh, and it's about community. When you take a Sabbath, you don't just stop working. You connect with other people instead of simply uh, doing your job and working the land or whatever. So Sabbath is a big, big, big deal. 
And uh, it's really important on all those different levels. And so the Christians, uh, once Jesus came, have continued a Sabbath practice. It's not a law, knowing it's punished for not doing it. But like most of, or at least a lot of the laws in the Old Testament, it turns out that it's a, it's a very good practice, even though we don't practice it as a law, that, uh, a way, a thing that gets punished if you don't do it. So in the, in the Christian world, typically our Sabbath is on Sunday. And uh, so we take a rest on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday and then we, we pull back and we're not supposed to uh, do work on Sunday. And of course, we live in a seven-day week society. And so uh, some Christians have struggled with that. And they, they take a different Sabbath, a Saturday, a Tuesday, a Thursday, whatever, right? Uh, the, the principle, that's why it's not a law. There's no legal requirement. The principle is to take a day off to step back from your desire to produce and all the stuff that goes with daily life to uh, have faith in God, reconnect with the idea that you are more than what you're able to produce and all that stuff. So I'm a pastor. And uh, so for most of my life, until recently, I've been a pastor of a church right now in between churches. And there's a couple of things about the Sabbath practice, uh, especially one of them is a pastoral thing. I'm not used to not working on Sunday because I'm a pastor, right? I work on Sundays. So that's one thing that's different now that I'm not at a church. And I kind of had to deal with that. And another thing is, and this is the bigger thing, it's not that hard. Uh, I, I worked in the industrial engineering department of uh, Ford Aerospace back when it was actually, actually existed, uh, before I became a pastor. And I was on salary. And when you're on salary, you know, you typically work Monday through Friday, unless there's a little extra work to do. And then you have the weekend off. So taking a Sabbath is not, there's not a big struggle to take a Sabbath for people who are uh, on a regular salaried kind of job. But now I don't have a congregation. So my normal pattern of working on Sunday is broken. And I don't have an income. So I'm picking up some freelance work on the side and I've got a few jobs in the queue. And now all of a sudden I have to choose. I have to choose specifically, clearly and intentionally not to make Sunday. That's the day I'm choosing is my Sabbath to specifically make Sunday not about provision. So I don't get to work on Sundays like a pastor. I'm not going to work on the jobs in my queue, in my freelance work. And I'm also studying to get a certificate to be a, a Cisco network administrator. And I'm not going to study for that on Sunday. So I have all these things to do. And for the first time, I have to decide that I'm going to Sabbath. I have to intentionally put aside my idea of worth by what I can accomplish and instead rest in my inherent worth in just being. I just have to be a spiritual being. I just have to be a father. Just be a husband. Be more than a person who works and produces. And this was actually quite hard. It, it, uh, it was churning around in my mind. You would might be shocked or maybe you wouldn't about how many times the things I could be doing that would be productive 
came up while I was intentionally choosing to Sabbath. And what occurred to me was that I preached on Sabbath like this, you know, the idea of coming away from production and all that stuff. I preached on it without really being aware of the internal struggles that other people might go through uh, because of the Sabbath. Now, I don't, I don't think I preached it wrong, but the con, the um, combination of being a pastor and actually getting to work on Sunday, getting to work, I can't believe I just said that, and uh, having a salary so that I, I don't have, my income doesn't fluctuate based on how much, uh, you know, I produce. I didn't really know the struggle of what I was preaching to other people about the Sabbath. I, I didn't know uh, what kind of internal struggles would be going on for people who were trying to choose to keep the Sabbath, especially people like, you know, uh, uh, realtors or any anybody who can uh, increase their likelihood of success or increase their production by putting in more time, right? Uh, anybody who does that to take a Sabbath, whether it's a Sunday or another day, you are intentionally putting aside uh, possible income, possible production, possible whatever, right? And what this brought home to me, what it reminded me of, is what I don't know about other people. Because certainly you wouldn't have noticed the internal struggle going on in me that day. You wouldn't have looked in my eyes and said, wow, that guy is going through the ringer in his spiritual life right now, trying to take Sunday off. No, you wouldn't have, seen, you would have just seen me. You wouldn't have any idea what the internal battle was in my life. And that's, that's what my Sabbath struggle brought home to me and reminded me of about how we don't know what's going on inside anybody else. And so that's what today's reflection is on. And it's about how you move through life, through the world. How do you encounter other people? So let me just ask you this off the, uh, just kind of as a starting point. What's your default attitude as you interact with other people in the world? Are they tools? Do you, do you uh, kind of move through the world with other people as tools to accomplish what you need to accomplish? Or are other people obstacles? Do you move through the world and see people as getting in your way? Or maybe it's just indifference. Maybe you just don't really notice other people as you go through your day. Or, and this is what I encourage you to move toward, are you moving among living, breathing spiritual beings who are on their own complicated and nuanced, sometimes exciting, sometimes challenging, sometimes joyful, sometimes uh, saddening life journey with all the stuff of every good adventure story. Because that's, that's who you're really moving among. Think about all the people that you encounter. Every one of them has a life story uh, that is uh, filled with all the same kinds of stuff that yours is. So how do you encounter people when you when you encounter a person, whether or not it's a, a quick little encounter counter at Starbucks or the grocery store, or maybe a longer one, somebody have a meeting with or whatever? How do you encounter them? And what I want to do, because what I'm doing here, what I'm trying to do is offer whole life teaching based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. 
So what I want to do for just a couple minutes here is look at Jesus. I want to look at Jesus and look at how he encountered people. And, you know, I've heard a lot of Christians sort of, they don't, they don't think they're dismissing Jesus, but they're dismissing Jesus as an example for their lives because he's like the son of God, right? And all that stuff. Uh, but watch what happens here if we just stop and watch what Jesus does and how he lived and how he encountered people. Because he didn't really like pull that son of God thing out of his pocket and tell people, shut up, I know what you already need. Don't be talking to me because I know more about you than you do. That's not what he did at all. If you watched the life of Jesus and the way he encountered people, he walked through life as though he was in a, in, in a place the world filled with living, breathing, spiritual beings who are each on their own complicated, nuanced life journey. So I, we could study the life of Jesus forever. But I want to give you three ways today that uh, Jesus encountered people that I think we can all emulate. And again, don't give me the I can't be like Jesus stuff. Of course you can, because... Jesus said we're supposed to be making disciples. And what is a disciple? It's someone who is growing to be like his teacher, rabbi, master, whatever, right? And so these are three things that we can grow in and emulate in the way we move through life and encounter people as we study the life of Jesus. So the first one is empathy. Empathy, I looked it up. Here's what it says. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Jesus moved through life with empathy for those around him. Uh, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he was about to pray for Lazarus to be raised and Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead and everybody was going to happy, be happy. Why was he weeping? Why was Jesus crying? He was crying because everyone else was so sad and it broke his heart. That's why. Because Jesus had empathy. Jesus also had something else that grows out of empathy. But empathy is the place to start. Compassion grows out of empathy. I looked up compassion too. I'm in the habit of looking up words. Compassion is this. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of another. It's that ability and willingness to let yourself be in the other person's shoes and feel what you would feel if you were going through what they were going through. Empathy is the first thing we see in Jesus' life. The second thing we see in Jesus' life is that he honors the journey of each person. He honors the spiritual journey of each person. Jesus let people be where they were at the moment. He didn't expect them to make giant leaps into uh, a fully mature spiritual life, whatever that looks like. Spiritual growth is a process, and there are times when you can't hear things. You're not ready to hear things. You're not in an emotional place to hear things. You have other things to learn or to become aware of before you can learn or be aware of these new things. Jesus talked about all sorts of ways. Don't pour old new wine into old wineskins and things like that. In John 16, 12, he even said this very literally. 
He said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus had all this, the, the knowledge of the universe inside of him, but he knew that people have this life journey of growth and they're in particular places at particular times. And so that's the way he related to them. He honored their life journey. So he had empathy with people four people. He honored the individual journey of each person. And the third thing is, and again, don't be, don't be all like, well, that's Jesus on me because you're his disciple, or maybe you will be, or maybe you want to be, or maybe you're trying to be or something. The third thing is Jesus had a very strong sense of himself. He had a very strong sense of what he was about, what he was there for, and how to use, and in what way he was willing to use the resources available to him in his interactions with other people. You can be some things to some people, but you can't be all things to all people. And so a sort of a differentiated sense of yourself and what you're about and what you bring to the table and what you don't is going to be really important. You're like an organ in the body. Just picture, you know, each each organ is very clearly differentiated. In fact, you're in big trouble if your organ walls break down in the like the fluids and stuff from one organ begin to seep out into another organ. You're in serious, serious trouble if your organs become undifferentiated. So that's the third thing we see. The third characteristic we see in Jesus as he moves around, he's very clear on who he is and and what he brings and what he's willing to do uh, as he ministers to other people. So let's look at a couple let's look at a couple of uh, instances here and see where we can see Jesus operating in empathy, honoring the journey of other people, and still moving through life with a, a, a strong sense of himself. So there's this one instance in. And uh, it's in Mark 10, for instance, anyways, I, it might be in the other Gospels too. There's a guy called Blind Bartimaeus, and he's going to be forever known as Blind Bartimaeus, although he could actually see after he encountered Jesus. But here's what happened. Uh, Jesus and his disciples and a good crowd, big crowd, were uh, on their way, leaving Jericho, and there was a blind beggar uh, named Bartimaeus, and he was the son of Timaeus. And he was sitting by the side of the road. When he heard Jesus was coming, he started shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people in the crowd told him to be quiet. But he yelled even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, bring him over. And so the people said, take heart. The master's calling for you. That kind of thing, right? And so he threw off his cloak and he came over to Jesus. And what do you think that encounter was like? What do you think was the first thing that happened there? It was not Jesus saying, be healed. You can see now. The first thing that happens is Bartimaeus comes up to Jesus and Jesus says this. What do you want me to do for you? What do you? He's a blind man. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And then he responds, Rabbi, Rabbi let me recover my sight. And Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he could see. But what I want you to see here is the empathy of Jesus, the honoring of the other person's journey, and his sense of self in restraining 
the power that he brings to the situation until it's part of the other person's journey. Uh, so he had all three of those things. He cared about the blind man because, you know, he heard, the, he heard his cry and Jesus's heart went out to him, that compassion that grows out of empathy. He honored the man's own journey by saying, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And then uh, um, he, he shows his strong sense of his own self in restraining himself uh, until asked to heal this blind man. And we see Jesus operating like this all throughout scripture. There's another time when they were traveling and it's midday and Jesus stops at a well and, and a woman comes to the well, which is very unusual uh, because normally you would draw your water in the morning. So this woman was probably kind of an outcast. And Jesus asks her for a drink. He just sort of interacts with her. And she says, how are you? Why you're a Jewish man and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And you need to remember or know that Jews and Samaritans, for historical reasons, are have a lot of antipathy for each other. They are um, bloods and crypts or whatever. I don't know. Pick pick your example. They're the um, they're they're feuding. Uh, and so Jesus talks to her, and they have this conversation where Jesus slowly begins to build a relationship with her. Now, he, he reveals that he knows a lot more about her than he should, but it's a slow process and he shows empathy. He honors her journey. She begins to open up to who she might be talking to. And uh, Jesus has a clear sense of himself. He, he's not, he doesn't have to worry about getting a drink from a Jewish woman, uh, from a Samaritan woman or something else, because he is who he is, right? Empathy, honoring the journey, a sense of self. Another time, there was a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was uh, part of the ruling council of the Jews and a Pharisee. He was uh, a leader, a recognized leader. And he wanted to find out about Jesus. But, you know, when you're in leadership, you have to be careful because even associating with somebody can create impressions. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to talk to him secretly, kind of as a, a representative of a group of the people that he's with. And he says, Rabbi, we know that uh, people, nobody could do what you do unless God was with him, but we don't get you. And then they have this conversation that could have, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, you, depending on your attitude, you could sort of like jump down Nicodemus's throat for being a coward and coming in the middle of the night or whatever, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way Facebook is a lot of times. As soon as somebody does something that's sort of like trying to be sensitive or tentative or, or, or uh, nuanced, everybody else jumps down their throat. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus has empathy. He cares about Nicodemus's position, right? Nicodemus is a leader and he has to approach these things with care. He honors Nicodemus's journey by entering into a discussion with him, asking him questions instead of just preaching at him. And then Jesus maintains, again, as he always does, his own strong sense of who he is and what he's about. So if you want to move through life like Jesus, yeah, this is not like the three things or anything, but these are three things you can think about. Move through your day, seeing everybody around you is a living, breathing, spiritual being who is on their own complicated, nuanced life journey filled with all the joys and sorrows that everybody uh, lives with. Interact with that other living, breathing, spiritual being with empathy. 
honor who they are on their own journey. Don't expect them to be where you are. Just be with them where they are. And then, of course, you got to have a clear sense of yourself. We we use different words for this. Boundaries is one way. A, an internal locus of control. I don't know if you've heard that, but it's a sense of I'm in control of me. I'm in charge of me. I'm in charge of my feelings. I'm in charge of what I do. Because here's the thing. If you're not ready to walk in, if you don't have a clear sense of self, you're not going to be ready to walk in real empathy. Uh, you have to have a comfort level with yourself and uh, your ability to respond with help or not with help or or however it is that you can enter into any particular situation, relationship, conversation. Because here's the thing with the, tr trying to uh, trying to live in empathy without boundaries. It's going to suck you up. It's, it's not going to be joyful. In fact, here, I want to say this. You're not ready to say yes to other people's journeys with joy. You're not ready to say yes to what might be a request for help. You're not ready to say yes to a conversation with other people until you can say no to people with peace. You can't say yes to somebody who might need some help with joy until you feel perfectly and utterly free to say no to them if it's not where you're at, what you're doing, what you want to be doing with your life. That's the locus of control thing. And the Bible even says this. It says, Paul writes to the people. He says, let each person give as they have decided, not under compulsion. The, the life of Christ is a life of freedom, not guilt and compulsion. So here's it. Here it is. If you're going to move through the world with strong empathy and deeply honor other people's spiritual journeys, you're going to have to have a strong sense of yourself and your own boundaries and honor your own journey where you are and what you're willing to do and be for other people as well. You've probably heard this saying before, but it's just a, it's a wonderful, wonderful saying. And so I want to kind of bring it in as we uh, begin to land this plane here. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Now that's attributed uh, in a lot of places to Plato, but a website called Quote Investigator likes to look these things up and it's, it's probably not uh, from Plato, but it is definitely about interacting with empathy honoring other people's journey and having a clear sense of yourself. This particular one comes apparently from uh, a guy named Reverend John Watson, not the same one from from uh, Sherlock. He was a doctor uh, and he wrote under a pen name, Ian McLaren. So if you sometimes hear it from John Watson, sometimes from Ian McLaren as the same person. So here's a quote uh, from a book. The section of the book is called Courtesy. And here's the longer quote. Here we go. This man beside us also has a hard fight with an unfavoring world, with strong temptations and doubts and fears, with wounds of the past which have skinned over, but which smart if they are touched. This is a fact, however surprising it may be to us. And when this occurs to us, then we are moved to deal kindly with him, to encourage him to be of good cheer, to let him understand that we also are fighting a battle. And then we're bound not to irritate him or press down upon him or to encourage his lower self. 
So there it is. That's the message. Move through your day seeing everyone as a living, breathing, spiritual being on their own complicated, nuanced spiritual journey. Interact with empathy. Honor their journey. Have a clear sense of yourself. But do that. Have empathy for yourself too and honor your own journey as well. But let's close this by taking it back to the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is there. God put the Sabbath in place for the Israelites as they were coming out of slavery to remind them that they are more than resources, that their value and worth is not tied up in what they produce. And that's what the Sabbath tells us and reminds us to. And that's why it's a good practice. It reminds us that our value and worth is not tied into what we produce, that we are worthy of love and belonging and empathy and care simply because we are. And so the Sabbath reminds us to treat other people that way too. The Sabbath reminds us that other people's value is not in what they produce, but simply because they are living, breathing, spiritual beings. They're not obstacles to be overcome. They're not resources to be used. They are living, breathing, spiritual beings on their own complicated, nuanced life journey. So that's today's reflection, today's attitude to cultivate. Your life will be better. You will make other people's lives better. And you'll even, as you move through life this way, you'll exert a subtle pressure on the wider culture and society to make it a better place. Imagine if a significant number of people in our community started to live and grow interacting with others with empathy, honoring their journey, and simply moving through life with a clear sense of themselves. That would, that would be great. That would be amazing. So you'll be happier. You can really make a difference in the lives of people around you, and you can make a difference in your community if you walk through life this way. Like Jesus, interact with empathy, honor people's own journeys, and have a clear sense of yourself. That's the talk for today. Something to think about. Uh, I have something I want to give you if you are still with me. Uh, well, I want to give it to you even if you're not with me. Uh, if you download this and you uh, and it's helpful, feel free to distribute it as widely as you want. I've written a journal uh, to help people grow in living this way. It's called 90 Days to a More Courageous and Generous Life. And the way this journal works is this. Uh, each day, it's designed for like two, three, five minutes maybe. Each day has a quote. Sometimes it's a scripture. It might be a philosopher. It might be a somebody else quote worthy, an author, who knows. Uh, but there's a quote. To, and then there's a, just a quote to think about. And then there is a uh, some sort of action or reflection uh, to engage in for that day. And of course, you can do your own thing, but this kind of primes you. It gives you something to think about. It might be something like, think of somebody that you don't like and write down three positive things about them. I think that would be a good exercise. It might be something like, make an intentional effort to say something nice, kind, or complimentary to every single person you meet today. And then come back tonight and write down how it felt. And it's, I, I wrote, it's a 90-day journal because I, it's, this isn't just a simple habit to develop. This is like, the, this is, I'm trying to help people shape their, their attitude toward life and the world and everything. So that's going to be more like, you know, 28 days to a new uh, running habit or whatever. 
and actually, uh, th this is uh, it started out as a one as a one year journal, and that uh, seemed kind of too long, so it's a ninety day journal, and I'll probably do four 90 day journals, volume one, two, three, and four. But let me get to the free thing for you. Uh, there is on my website, a downloadable 14 day trial of my 90 days to a more courageous and generous life journal. And you can get that here. Here's my this is high tech titling here. Uh, so these are all the different places that my stuff appears on the internet, journeyoflife.org. Uh, I just love the name because we're all on a journey. That was the name of my church. Uh, and I'm probably just going to keep that website. You can get this 14-day uh, trial of the 90 Days to a More Courageous and Generous Life on johnrollison.com forward slash blog. And if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see a thing where you can uh, put in your name and email address and you'll get a free 14-day sample. And if you sit there very long, probably a, a window will like, drop down in front of you offering you that free thing as well and then uh i i have started a patreon account uh, i don't have like special stuff for the insiders or anything like that i'm just looking for people who want to support my effort at bringing whole life teaching based on the life of teachings of jesus into the world and so if you want to help me with that if you want to support me support the internet costs all that stuff that would be great and then you can find all my stuff on various social media and stuff too for podcasting and things. Look, uh, just search for Journey of Life Church on Facebook, YouTube, your favorite podcasting app or iTunes, and you'll find it all over the place. Okay, so that is that. Grace and peace to you, my friends.